The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501c3 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of new media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com. It's the Bible Study Evangelista Show. I'm your host, Sonia Corbett, the Bible Study Evangelista. We are in our St. Joseph series. St. Joseph as priest, prophet, and king of the Holy Family and prince of the church. And last week we looked at Old Testament Joseph as patriarch. And what I'd like to do today is kind of review that just a little bit because we're, we also have that sort of highlight study going on on catholicmom.com and so I don't want to repeat uh, but what I'd like to do is sort of um, review where we've been so far and I want to also look at Abraham as the original patriarch and sort of tie that to St. Joseph and his role. So one of the things I'd like to just encourage you to do if you haven't watched the catholicmom.com video I hope you will because um they asked me last week not to mention this in-depth study anymore um, because they were worried that nobody would watch the videos or participate in the study there on Catholic Mom on their Facebook page. So I hope if you haven't seen it that you will watch it. Um, as I said, I'm not repeating information, or at least not a whole lot anyway. Um, so you're going to get new stuff in both the video and this study. So um don't be afraid to watch it. And in fact, it would help me a lot, even if you have watched it, to maybe watch it again, <laughs> because I'd like for them to um, let me do this, actually, maybe on a an annual basis. I don't know, something like that, just because um, I think every site like that should always have some sort of Bible study going. So the patriarch, we looked at Old Testament Joseph as patriarch because St. Joseph, patron of the church, is he was the termination of all the patriarchs of the Old Testament. So we looked at Old Testament Joseph. We looked at his story. We looked at the fact that he was the youngest of Jacob's sons until Benjamin was born. And I mentioned there that Joseph's mother was Rachel. And Rachel had two sons. Jacob's other wife, Leah, whom he had to marry first in order to get Rachel, <laughs> she had the other 10. And so the 10 of Rachel, I mean, Leah's sons and the two of Rachel's sons, Leah and Rachel were the mothers of the 10 tribes. And Jacob was their father. Jacob, actually, his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. That's sometimes a little bit confusing to people who are reading the Old Testament. They, they get confused Sometimes, but Jacob, his name meaned, uh, his name means cheater, and part of that was because he cheated his brother Esau out of the inheritance. Although he really didn't cheat him out of it, he he cheated his father out of it. We should we should say, but Esau actually sold it to him for a pot of porridge or a bowl of porridge. But anyway, that's a whole different story. Um, the point being, though, that Jacob's sons were the leaders, the patriarchs of the 12 tribes. So it was interesting, I thought, to 
trace Old Testament Joseph for that reason as well, not just the fact that he was the administrator of Egypt, but also that he was one of those 12 tribes. And we'll come back in next week's show when we look at Joseph as prophet and and then later Joseph as king of the Holy Family uh, until Jesus actually assumed that role for the whole church. And then St. Joseph became prince over all of God's possessions, as the saints say. And we'll look at that too. Um, But today, what I really want to do is kind of go over the Abraham as the main patriarch, the father of the uh, Jewish faith. And he, of course, is a spiritual father, but he was a literal father too. And I actually believe that that's part of why God chose Abraham because Abraham already had this desire planted in him by God for this fatherhood. And we talked in the video about how every man is called to fatherhood, whether that's spiritual or physical. And if you are called to physical fatherhood, then you're automatically called to spiritual fatherhood because you're spiritually and literally responsible for any children that you have, physical children. But in the priesthood, that's also, of course, fatherhood. And so St. Joseph is patron of priests, too, under Christ, of course. But um, Abraham then was the father of that faith. And Jesus said so. So it's not something that, that we just attribute to him because the Jewish people do. We do it because Jesus does as well, um, specifically in John chapter 8, where he is confronting the Pharisees and they say, Abraham is our father. We don't even know who your father is, right? So they were they were sliding Jesus and sort of um, insinuating that he was a bastard, really. Um, but Jesus talks about the fatherhood of Abraham. If you were of your father Abraham, you would do Abraham's works. And what was the work of Abraham? The Bible says the work of Abraham was faith. And it's a faith that that works. It's not just a belief system. So I'd like to look at that. Um, and we've established that the calling to manhood, masculinity itself, is a call to both fatherhood and priesthood. The fatherhood and priesthood idea are inseparable. Every father, starting with Adam, was priest of his family. And in fact, every father, starting with Adam and going all the way up to Moses at the golden calf, every father was also one of God's priests. So the the firstborn son would have been the the next priest in that line, we'll say, or in that family. So every firstborn son and every father was also somehow called to priesthood. And we know, of course, that that applies to the priesthood of the domestic church, the family, even now. So it's carried forward in Christ. But even then, that's how it began. And so men are called to priesthood. What does that mean? It means sacrifice. Men are called to sacrifice and they're called to sacrifice for their families. Their first vocation is their family. And of course, that's the same for mothers, but it's, we're talking about fatherhood here. So we as wives and daughters and mothers and women, we need to look at our men whether they're our sons or our husbands or our fathers or our priests, we need to look at men in that light. They are called 
to priesthood by virtue of their manhood. And so they're also called then to fatherhood. And that involves sacrifice. A priest in its strict form, the definition is one who sacrifices on behalf of the whole. Now, the institutional priesthood sacrifices on behalf of the whole of the people of God in a religious sense. But in a home or in a family, the father sacrifices on behalf on behalf of his family. And that's the reason in Ephesians 5, when that's why Paul says that every man, he basically says every man gives himself to woman or to the church by extension. And so that is the man's role under Christ. Christ is the head and then the man because the man is called to sacrifice. And of course, we women know that when we are in relationship, when we're in marriage or um, a relationship, even with sons and priests, when we're in relationship with a man who takes this fatherhood and priesthood idea seriously, and he is working under Christ and with Christ and through Christ to sacrifice for us and for our families, I mean, it is, those men will get anything they want <laughs> because we, we are, we admire that. Women admire that. And partly because we know that's what they're made for. So men then are made for fatherhood and priesthood. They're made to sacrifice. And it's funny, I have a friend who, um, she, uh, she was listening. I don't know if she's actually listening right now, but, um, she listened to, um, my podcast for a long time. And in fact, she's a friend of the show. She, she gives every month and her name is Kelly and we have been friends for years. We kind of lost touch a little bit after I came into the Catholic church only because we weren't in contact weekly at our church. Um, but we still remain friends. I, her son actually does it work for me and I love her dearly. And her husband, she has a husband that's a lot like mine. And she says that he calls himself the mule, the mule of the family. And I kind of, I chuckle at that because that's actually their role. And it, it probably does um, become burdensome sometimes. I'm sure it does. It, it must. And, and we women and mothers and wives, we feel that, that same way a lot of times. But when a man is really operating in this giftedness for fatherhood and priesthood, he is kind of the mule. He's the mule of the family. He's the one sacrificing physically, especially. He's he's sacrificing physically um, in providing for his family, in protecting his family, in all of the ways that St. Joseph protected and provided for Mary and Jesus. But then also further back with Abraham and even before Abraham. But we begin with Abraham because Abraham is the father of faith. And it was his faith in this promise of fatherhood that God used to form him into the father of faith that God's vision was for Abraham from the very beginning. I believe that God made Abraham for that. And so Abraham already had that longing and that desire in his heart that God had made him with. And then God worked to form him to be capable of receiving that promise in Isaac. And then, of course, Isaac would go on to have Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob's sons would be the 12 tribes. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, 
Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Sonia created the Love the Word Bible Study Method just for you, based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. So I'd like to take a look at what Paul says about Abraham in Romans chapter 4. But before I do, I want to take a moment to thank my friends of the show. Uh, Shout them out here on the show. It's been a long time because I had that long break. So I'm going to go back actually several months here. And I'm going to begin at the beginning, the last time that I shouted you guys out. So you're going to hear yourselves (laughs) from a way back here. So Amanda N., Colette G., Connie L., Gary K., Carlene G., Elia R, Mary V, Kathy F, KCE, Kelly T, Mary Mick, Sandra L, Terry G, Joseph J, Stephanie S, Venera F, Melissa O N, Mark G, Cindy G, Jean, or I'm sorry, Joan T, Becky T, Tim H, Cynthia R. Uh, then we have Michelle Van W, Anita C, Julie N, Joan R, Mary Z, Aaron C, Gina M, Debbie S, and Jeanette H. Thank you. Thank you, especially during this whole COVID year and all that has been going on. I appreciate your support so much. Um, It has allowed me to continue doing what I'm doing in a year in which all my travel stopped and my income has plummeted. And that's actually, it's been a good thing for taxes, to be honest. Um, But at the same time, it it has been you that has kept me going and being able to continue to offer the podcast and all the other things um, that I'm doing. So I appreciate your help so much. And I just want to reiterate, this is this is the absolute truth. When you support me, you take an active role in every single effort of evangelism that I undertake. You are an active participant in that. And so you are Aaron and her in the Old Testament when the Israelites went into battle against the Amalekites and Moses got tired because he was he had his arms extended and was praying over the battle and his arms got tired and Aaron held up one arm and her held up the other. So you are Aaron and her to me and I appreciate your support so much. So I want to I keep a list just because it's so important to me to shout you out to thank you um, for for your support. So Paul says in Romans chapter four, what then shall we say? Say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh. 
For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God. It's a quote here. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so Paul then, he uses this quote, and I I love this quote because it says some things that we don't always... um, we don't always discern just on the face of the language there. Paul goes on to say also in Romans chapter 11, something similar, 11 verse 6. Um, he's talking about the difference in grace and works. But the thing about Abraham's faith was that his faith did work. And in fact, James goes on to sort of um, uh, elaborate on this idea quite a bit. James specifically says that it wasn't the fact that Abraham just had this belief in what God said. It was that Abraham acted on the belief. And so Paul is is emphasizing the faith that moved Abraham to action. And James emphasizes the action that was led by his faith. Either way, we see how faith and works work together. And that is why I love this quote so much. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This word accounted, it is an accounting word. It's like adding and subtracting, right? And so it gives you the idea that God is keeping score, right? But if you look at the actual word, it means to plat or to braid. And so what we see, and if we follow Abraham's story back in Genesis I believe it begins in chapter 12 where God comes to Abraham and he he calls him away from, yes, it is in chapter 12. He calls him away from his father's house in chapter 12. Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And so he calls Abraham out on a mission and he gives him a purpose. You're going to be a great nation, he says, I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And then basically Abraham kind of says later in Genesis chapter 15 and then on again in 17, God has to really reiterate the promise to Abraham several times because it doesn't happen immediately. And Abraham gets discouraged. He asks God, well, if you're going to bless me, if you have, if you're, if you have favor on me, what are you going to give me? You know, what is my blessing going to be? I don't even have a son, he says. And so God elaborates on the covenant that he makes with Abraham. And he tells him that your son, basically, he says, your son will be the son through whom all of the nations on the earth will be blessed. And Abraham believed God. But it wasn't just that he believed him with his mind. It's that he stepped out in obedience to God and he left the land that he was born in and he pursued this promised land that God uh, told him about and that he led him to. Now, Abraham was not actually, although he lived in that area, the promise fully, or at least fully in a literal way, came to fruition through Moses and the people of Israel as they left Egypt And they pursued the promised land. And of course, most of that whole generation had to die out because they didn't have faith. They wouldn't go into the land, which that's what my whole next book is about. It's about that whole story and about our own promised land and what that means and how to how to submit to the formation that happens in the desert so that we are 
capable of receiving our promised land. And of course, Abraham was the one who received that promise to begin with. But then also Moses and the people of Israel received it. And then, of course, in Hebrews, which is our text in that book, it talks about how we also have that same promise. But Abraham is the father of that, see? And through Abraham came Isaac, the promised son. And of course, Abraham, he lost, he didn't lose faith, but he did sort of waver in his faith, which is natural when you wait 25 years for God to bring you something that he's promised. I mean, that happened to me. And I I really clung to this promise of Abraham um, because I could see that my formation was taking a similar route to the one that God began and put poor Abraham through for 25 years. But Abraham, he, he got discouraged. He wavered some and he, and whenever he wavered, he would go to God and say, is this real? Are you, is this still in place? Are you going to do this? I still don't have a son. I don't even have one son. How am I going to be the father of many many nations when I don't even have one son, Lord? (laughs) And so he and God then sort of wrestled with this promise and what it meant and how it was going to come to pass. And of course, we saw Old Testament Joseph go through exactly the same thing. And that's part of why they're called patriarchs, because we have them as a pattern. And of course, they're fathers and they're priests in that same fatherhood. But it's instructive for all of us because all of us go through these periods of formation that that make us capable of receiving the promise that God has for us. Now, ultimately, for each of us, that's heaven. Okay, and so our desert and our formation time is here on earth. But our promise is still heaven. And so we know with faith, the faith of Abraham, that God will bring that to pass. And we act on our faith by doing the things that we know will help form us and help get us to that promise. Some of us also have what St. Teresa called or uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta called a a vocation in a vocation. And that's why I do what I do. Some people well, some people have all kinds of promises. You may have a promise maybe that relates to your own family. I don't know. It could be anything. But but each of us definitely has the promise of heaven and salvation. And so that's that's our time. Our time of formation is here on earth, this valley of tears that we talk about in um, in our rosaries. But Abraham then was the father of this faith, a faith that acts It's not just a belief system. James himself says, and I've said this so many times, but James says it's not simply belief because even the demons believe and they tremble. They tremble at what they know of God, but it doesn't move them to love, to act in love. So when you have the faith of Abraham, you act on that faith. You work in it. You move in it. You work toward the promise actively. And that was the faith that Abraham had. And that is why the scriptures say that that his faith was accounted to him. God used every one of his acts of faith, even when they were um, maybe out of desperation, as, as was the case when Sarah sent her made Hagar in to Abraham to contrive to have a son by her maid. And God said, no, that's not going to be the son of the promise. The son of the promise will come from Sarah, Abraham and Sarah's union. 
And of course, they were both so old, they, th- they thought that was impossible. And yet God brought it to pass. And so the promise then was not through the maid, it was through Sarah. And Paul actually picks up that metaphor later on in his other writings, um, Galatians, I think, and, and Ephesians and, and several places. But that's not the point. The point is that Abraham's faith was accounted to him as righteousness. And that means that every step of faith he took was platted or braided into the righteousness that would ultimately be the full culmination of his promise. More on that when we get back. You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. So Abraham as father of faith then was the template, we could say, for the other fathers that came after him, Moses, um, David, all of those are said to be patriarchs of some sort. And that, of course, is where we get St. Joseph as the pillar of families, because this fatherhood then shows us what he was called to and what God's vision was for him. He would be the father of all spiritual people in Christ. He brought us, he protected and he led and he he foster fathered Jesus and he protected and he led and he covered, we could say, in that protection, Mary as well. And so St. Joseph, then his role is both as priest and father. His role as father makes him priest and his role as priest makes him father. The two things go together. Now that stopped when the priestly line that was in fatherhood automatically, when they got to Mount Sinai and they um, they fell into idolatry with the golden calf. That is where God said to Moses, I want you to take then the tribe of Levite. The Levite tribe will be my priesthood from this point forward. And of course, that priesthood then would be institutional. 
Because Moses then, from Mount Sinai, he had the plans for the Old Testament tabernacle. And then this priesthood, from that point forward, once they built the tabernacle and the the institutional ministry could take place, that's when the Levite tribe took over that role. And so Aaron was the first high priest, and the high priest would come from that tribe from that point forward until Christ. And Christ fulfilled that, that priesthood. But my point there is that until... From from Adam up to Abraham, who was the father of faith, the Israelite faith, and then from Abraham to Isaac, who was his son, Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Esau sold his birthright. He was the firstborn. He sold his birthright to Jacob, who cheated his father out of the blessing uh, by lying and pretending that he was Esau so that he could get that blessing because the blessing was was that was where the inheritance was contained, we'll say, the blessing of the inheritance, which included the messianic promise. And that was really the the bigness of it. It wasn't just the property. It wasn't just the family line and all of the things that we think of when we talk of an, an inheritance. It was primarily the messianic promise. And so that's why Esau's judgment in the New Testament is so stringent against him because he disregarded the importance of that promise by selling his inheritance to his younger brother, who was actually only younger by a moment or two. He was a twin, but he sold that for a pot of stew after being out in the field all day. And because he he thought so little of it, God allowed that to stand. He sold it. And so he allowed Jacob to deceive his father into thinking that he was blessing his older son when actually he was blessing Jacob. And that's why Jacob's name means cheater, because he was a cheater. But Jacob also wrestled with the angel of God at the river Jabbok. And at that wrestling with the angel, he said, I want you to bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And the angel of the Lord put his hip out of joint in order to win the wrestling match, right? And then he does bless Jacob and he changes his name and that blessing and name change kind of go together. We see that quite a, quite a, uh, often throughout the scriptures when there's a, a major overhaul or a spiritual conversion in a person, their name is changed. So Paul went from Saul to Paul, Peter, um, he was Simon and then Jesus named him Peter We see that actually in several places um, where there is a name change, and Jacob was one of those. So we have all the way up to Adam, from Adam to Moses, I'm sorry, we have from Adam to Moses, the fatherhood and priesthood was in the family through the father. Then at Moses, there was an institutional priesthood on top of that, which was concentrated in the Levite tribe, because the Levites were the only ones who didn't fall into idolatry at the golden calf. And so God took them and made them institutional priesthood uh, on top of this lay priesthood idea that continued through the fatherhood of um, the family. And then we have um, from Moses to, uh, let's see, all the way up, actually, that that family fatherhood priesthood continues in the in a domestic way. And then, of course, St. Joseph is the termination of all of those patriarchs. And so that's why he's called the pillar of families. He is the fulfillment of all of those patriarchs. And what's one of the beautiful things, I think, is the fact that St. Joseph was in the way of all fathers. He was the one who taught Jesus about the love of God the Father. 
And so Joseph would have taken an active role in teaching him about who the Father is. And of course, Jesus, he's God too. So he takes that and runs with it and and has insight and, and a relationship with God the Father that no one else could ever have had. But it was St. Joseph who nurtured that to begin with, he and Mary. And so Joseph then, as, mm, boy, this really gets me, as the teacher of Jesus in who God the Father was in the early days, then he is a model of fatherhood for Jesus and for us. And so when he stepped into my life and showed me all of the ways that he's been active in my own life, it is just, it's still so overwhelming. I, I, um, I, I've told somebody it feels a little bit like grief. You know how grief will just ambush you from out of nowhere and kind of wash over you until you're just a mess. And that's how this whole, um, this whole thing with Joseph has become for me. I'm just, you know, I just, I'm going about my day and then something reminds me of it and I start thinking about it and I get so overwhelmed with the emotion of it. And it's such a gift. You know, I already understood God as my father and my healer and all of that stuff. And so to be given St. Joseph as a gift on top of that, I don't, I don't know what the difference is. Maybe it's because I don't know. I don't know what it is, but there's just so much emotion involved in that for me that is on par and 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 different but even in some ways bigger than than how I feel about my heavenly father god you know I don't know I don't know what it is yet not I, I haven't I haven't meditated on it long enough I guess um to really understand but what I want to do at this point is go to a Psalm chapter 105 because we get Abraham and Joseph together in this psalm as sort of a picture of the patriarchs. Psalm 105 says, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. And then he says in verse six, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. And he goes through kind of this, um, this line in verse nine, the covenant which he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel. That's Jacob's name change, Israel, as an everlasting covenant saying to you, I will give the land of of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. And then he talks about in verse 16, he starts talking about Joseph when he summoned a famine on the land and broke every staff of bread. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with shackles. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Now, when God tests us, it's not because he wants to know what's in us. He wants us to know. And that was the essence of Abraham's test when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. That was the essence of Joseph's tests when he was thrown in the pit, and then he was enslaved at Potiphar's when he was thrown into prison, and then when he rose to prominence under Pharaoh. All of that was formation. All of Abraham's trials were formation, and formation comes with it, this testing, because the testing is like working out a muscle. It it tests the muscle. It pushes the muscle. It expands the capability of the muscle. And so it's formation. Testing is formation. It's not a matter of temptation. Now, that's what the devil uses it for. The devil wants us to fall. Our enemy 
he uses testing as temptation. He wants us to fall in it. But even that can be worked toward our good, as Abraham shows us, especially because of that fall that he had with Sarah and Hagar. (laughs) They together contrived, which I, I said a little bit about that earlier, and I won't go into it. But the point is, though, it says here in Psalm that the word of the Lord tested him, meaning Joseph. And so this all of this time of formation from the time that he began to dream the dreams as a teenager up until the time that he finally ascended to prominence to number two in the Egyptian court, all of that time was formation. And all of that formation combines to make the person capable of receiving all that they are meant to receive, the promise. That's what it means when it says that Abraham's faith was accounted to him as righteousness. Your faith, your formation, your testing is also accounted to you as righteousness. It is braided. It is plaited into the rope that both leads you to the promise, but that is your promise. All of that is braided together and it becomes your promise. Isn't that beautiful? Almost like a crown, which is a whole different, uh, another beautiful piece of imagery that I don't have time to go into. But more on that when we get back. You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spares That Taste Like Cake. If you love having Bible study in your pocket, you can become a friend of the show. Click on the yellow friend of the show button on BibleStudyEvangelista.com and become a supporter of any amount and any frequency. Now, here's Sonia. What's so beautiful about this Psalm 105 is that it shows that all that befell Joseph was in God's plan to begin with. When there was a famine on the land, God had already sent Joseph ahead to Egypt. Through the meanness and the evil of his brothers wanting to be rid of him, being jealous of him. He worked through that jealousy and that evil and that meanness that his family... um, perpetrated against him to send him ahead to Egypt in order to save the whole family in the famine so that the line, the messianic line that was promised to Jacob and before him Isaac and before him Abraham, so that that line could continue. And it did continue all the way up to Joseph, who was the foster father of Christ. And it's that descendancy, which we'll look at in next week's show, this whole idea of the key, um, this descendancy, this promise of the Messianic kingdom. Joseph was in that line. New Testament Joseph was in that line. And so that's part of how he is the the termination of the patriarchs. And so this psalm here talks about how God sent him ahead, had him, he allowed him to be sold as a slave, imprisoned, 
until what he said came to pass. And and when he mean when he's when it says that in the psalm, it means both uh, Joseph's two dreams to begin with, his interpretation of the dreams of the people in the prison, the um the butler and the baker, and then also Pharaoh's dreams. And remember that that. Being gifted with dreaming and interpretation of dreams was a sign of God's favor on you. And so Joseph had then this sign of favor the whole time he was imprisoned and, and he was he was being terribly mistreated. God upheld him and supported him through all of that with this sign of favor. And it was prophetic. And that's part of why St. Joseph then, as a dreamer, is prophet, even though he doesn't speak a single word in the Gospels, okay? Then it says in this Psalm, verse 20, the king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him Lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions. Now that's prophetic of St. Joseph because Joseph then was the Lord of the Holy Family. He was the ruler of all of God's possessions. Now that's kind of a, um, that might be a, um, negative word for some people. It doesn't mean that God owned them as much as they were his prized treasure, not in the sense of property or ownership, but just relationship, right? And so God made him Lord of his house, the holy family, and the ruler of all of his possessions, meaning every single thing that would come through Christ was first guarded and protected and ruled by Joseph, St. Joseph. And then it says to instruct his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. And so there is wisdom and instruction in St. Joseph. And so that's how Joseph, his role in my life is visible because he is the one who used my husband to heal me and to show me how to grow out of that. Part of it was immaturity. Part of it was woundedness. But through that whole series of uh, and time of formation, which for me was about 15 years. During that whole time, it was St. Joseph that was guiding that. That's one of the things that he showed me that has been so, so emotional for me because he's been so active. I had no idea he was, and he's not been very visible in the church. And that's part of why I think it's so interesting that this is the year of St. Joseph, because it definitely seems as though Jesus himself, but also God is sort of pushing him to the forefront in order that his fatherhood would take a more visible role in the church. And I think that's because we have such a deficit of fatherhood. And maybe that's why it's even more emotional to me to explore and develop a relationship with St. Joseph than it is even with my Heavenly Father. Perhaps that's because I sort of see the Heavenly Father as, as a spirit, you know, without a body. <laughs> and that's that's who he is. And so St. Joseph is is somehow more tangible, even though I, I don't know what he looks like. You know, I absolutely love that picture that I've used um, the last couple of weeks in the podcast because it's so virile. It's so manly. It's so young and and in his prime, you know, and so handsome, actually, too. But this psalm is so good because it's prophetic of St. Joseph. It sort of recounts all that happened in the past, but it also looks forward to the future. Now, one more thing that I want to mention before we close out this sort of part of St. Joseph as, um, as priest of the Holy Family and 
and all that fatherhood priesthood idea is in Isaiah chapter 22, uh, the section in verse 20, all the way through the end of the chapter. In that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and I will bind your belt on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a sure place and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. And they will hang on him the whole way of his father's house, the offspring and issue, every small vessel from the cups to the flagons. In that day, the, says the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a sure place will give way. Now, we know if you have um, been through with me the series on the O antiphons, you know that this key here, this key of David idea speaks specifically of Christ and Christ gave the keys to Peter. But before there was Peter and before there was Christ, there was St. Joseph and there was Old Testament Joseph because here we have the keys are the administration of the kingdom. And the administration was a role that Old Testament Joseph occupied in Egypt. And so this whole section in this prophecy in Isaiah, it speaks first of St. Joseph. I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. That key then is Christ. He bore Christ on his shoulders as a priest. That was one of the roles that the priest had. He had engraved on the, um, the stones on his shoulders the 12 tribes. So in essence, by metaphor, he was carrying the whole of the tribes of God's people on his shoulders. He also bore them on his heart in the breastplate where there was a stone engraved with one of each of the tribes in the breastplate that the priest wore on his chest. And so, of course, this, of course, means Christ. And by extension, because Christ gave it to Peter, it means Peter too. But before it was Peter and before it was Jesus, it was Joseph. Joseph was the administrator of the Old Testament. And Joseph here is the administrator here. God gives him then that role. I will commit your authority to his hand. So Joseph has a certain authority over the Holy Family. He has the key of the house of David. He will open and none shall shut. He, he occupies those roles in fathering, foster fathering Jesus himself, who is the ultimate fulfillment fulfillment of this key of David and the door and all of these other things. But first it was Joseph. It says, um, I will fasten him like a peg in a sure place. He will become a throne of honor to his father's house. Joseph was the termination of all of the father's houses, the, the patriarchs, and they will hang on him the whole weight of his father's house. It, it depended on Joseph to keep Mary and Jesus safe, to protect them on their way down to Egypt, at which time, the church fathers say that there was an overthrow of the idols of Egypt because Joseph brought Jesus to Egypt. And in doing so, there's a sense in which he cleansed that area of its idols by just the presence of Jesus in Egypt. And of course, Joseph did that because of the dreams that, that he dreamed and the instruction from God that he received in those dreams. So you can see then that this prophecy in Isaiah also speaks of Saint Joseph. And that's part of why we'll see in another show why he's called the prince over all of God's possessions. That comes almost directly from right here in this uh, prophecy in Isaiah. 
And so he he maintains, St. Joseph maintains that title. So what does all of this mean for us? It means that our husbands and our sons and our priests, they are, they are priests and fathers in that role and that St. Joseph is leading and guiding that. Now, they don't, they don't do that perfectly, right? In the same way that we're not perfect mothers and we're not perfect wives and we're not perfect women either. But Joseph is their model. And so we should look beyond the husband or the son or the priest to Joseph behind them. And of course, Christ behind Joseph. There's a sense in which Jesus uses Joseph to accomplish his purposes in these men. And so we can look to St. Joseph to guide us in how to be Marian, in how to submit to their authority, in how to um, guide them through our giftedness as women, through our intuition, that kind of thing, guide them, but not control them, right? We have to accept our men, faults and all. We accept them the way Mary accepts them, the way Joseph, we accept them the way Mary accepted Joseph. We, we accept our men, faults and all. And in doing so, we, we occupy that Marian role that helps them step into the full formation that they were made for as fathers and priests. I hope that makes sense. I'm Sonia Corbett, your Bible study evangelista. We'll continue the series next week when we talk about St. Joseph as prophet of the Holy Family um, and king of the Holy Family and also prince of the church. Thank you for listening to the Bible Study Evangelista show. Find out more at BibleStudyEvangelista.com.